John chapter 8, verse 37, and uh, we endeavor to finish the 8th chapter today. So I'm going to read just this first portion, and then we'll pick up uh, with verse 48 a little later in the study. Let's look at verse 37 uh, all the way through 47. Jesus speaking, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come by myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we need your help. Lord, nobody can rightly represent the powerful things you say, Jesus, but you yourself. Well, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak. You would illuminate what we're looking at. Lord, you would magnify it. I pray you'd take the fishes and loaves of my own preparation and make it far greater. Lord, that you would speak to each person, those that are online, those that are here, exactly what they need. I could never convey the depth of such power. But Lord, you can. And we ask for your presence. We ask that you would just trample any distraction right out the door. And they would hear, we would hear from you. We pray for your peace, your presence, your clarity, your wisdom. And Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, today they would come to know you. As we saw last week, you'd do it again. And Lord, all of us would grow in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We left off with, uh, last week with Jesus' beautiful and glorious proclamation that if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. The Son of God has set you free. You are totally free, even if you don't even understand what that means. Jesus was, of course, speaking of what? The soul. The soul being set free. Set free from sin, set free from death. We both are born with bodies that are dying and sins that are just coming forth from us. Even a prisoner, and we have state prisons here in Virginia, even a prisoner, someone sitting on death row for capital murder can be immediately set free by Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yeah. They're not going to get out the prison doors, although with our justice system getting weird, that, that may happen. But generally speaking, the doors aren't going to open up, but the doors of their heart can be completely set free. And it's been a blessing when we've gone into prison ministry and, and told people that have a lot of guilt and shame. Now you can be set free from that. The Pharisees, of course, by their ignorance and by their blindness and the hardness of hearts, they could not understand what Jesus was saying. They remain indignant. They believe they are the most faithful followers of God on all of planet earth. They believe that they were the keepers of Moses' law, and in their own minds they did not see why they needed to be set free. They asserted, this is going back to last week and it continues into the dialogue this week, they asserted that they were Abraham's descendants, and they had never been in bondage. As we pick it up here, Jesus, Jesus ignores their ancestral bondage and their suspension of reality. 
that they were currently under the iron fist of Rome even then. But he's trying to get to the unseen chains, the unseen bondage and blindness. As we pick up the text, Jesus zeroes in on the nature of their bondage. And he'll be even more direct. Don't you think Jesus was very direct in what I just read? That would be an understatement. Very direct. He's going to be even more direct in helping them to see their desperate condition. Remember we talked about last week on the road to Damascus, Jesus really helped Paul see where he was at, right? He dropped him to his knees. Why are you persecuting me? Here he's going to tell these Pharisees, they're, they're of the devil. That's how dark and depraved they are. That's how dark and depraved all people who are lost are. And know this, <clears throat> Jesus wants all of us, all of us, those of you watching online, those of you, he wants all of us to know where we're truly at. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. Is your faith in the I am? Is your faith in the I am? That's going to be coming in the second part of the text that we didn't read where Jesus makes this great statement uh, which we'll be looking at a little bit. But uh, only two points this morning, but both are pretty detailed. So if you're taking notes, the first is two different fathers. Two different fathers from verse 37 to 38 as we kind of go verse by verse here. Jesus acknowledges, he says here, I know that you're Abraham, Abraham's descendants, verse 37, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Jesus acknowledges that these Pharisees' biological lineage to Abraham is clear. All Israel, anyone that's an Israelite, anyone that is Jewish, descends from Abraham. He was the father of the Jewish people. And they revere Abraham. They're big, big fans of Abraham. Love Abraham. And Jesus agrees, yes, you all have a bloodline that traces back to Abraham, it says in, I didn't put up on the screen, but it says in Isaiah chapter 41, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. God acknowledges that everybody that's of the Jewish bloodline is a descendant of Abraham. Now, by the way, Abraham has other descendants. You know, many people that are Arab uh, Abraham had other uh, sons through Ishmael that many people descend from Abraham, not just Jewish people. So there's a whole other, and it's true that many Muslims will tell you, hey, I'm a descendant of Abraham. Many of them are exactly correct. They too descend from Abraham. But Jesus was speaking in Isaiah, well, the Bible is speaking in Isaiah 41 to the house of Israel. So there is a lineage from Isaac and Jacob and that line of the, the firstborn, the, uh, the chosen son of, if you will, and so that's the, the, the mindset is that, no, no, we are the pure part of Abraham's lineage. They would discount those other uh, descendants of Abraham. They are indeed the descendants. And Jesus understands, yes, you descend, your bloodline comes from Abraham. But he's addressing the blatant hatred that's in their hearts. Still in verse 37, he reminds them, you seek to kill me. Which, by the way, is murder. You don't kill someone who's committed no crime. That would be murder. There is capital punishment. They weren't just wanting to discredit Jesus. They weren't just wanting to criticize and ostracize. Of course, they wanted to do all those. No, they wanted him dead. And as we saw last week in verse 28, uh, verse 20 is a little further up there, Jesus told them how they would kill him. By what? Lifting him up. Crucifixion. And Jesus explains that their intent to kill him is based on their total rejection of the witness of Christ. His word has no place in them. He said, Your word has, my word has no place in you. There's nothing of the testimony of Jesus that they receive. They don't believe he's from heaven. They don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe he can forgive sins. They don't believe he can give eternal life. Do you believe all those things? Yes. Amen. They don't even think he's been called by God. They don't even think he's a prophet. 
like Amos or Daniel. They don't even think he's called by God. We spoke last week of the fact that Jesus had taken the same truths again and again and again. And impatient, he'd taken the same truths and impatient love for their souls. He represents them from this angle, from this angle, from this angle. Same truths, different illustrations of the truth. Good teachers do that. You ever had a good teacher that would say, all right, you didn't get it that way. Let me re-explain it to you this way. You still didn't get it. Let me re-explain it a third way. They were always going for the same teaching point just so you could find, ah, light, you say in school, a light bulb went off. Finally, the biology, biology teacher finally explained it in a way I could understand it. It wasn't that they were explaining something new. They explained it in a way you could understand it. Good teachers do that. But you have to have humble and teachable students to receive any kind of teaching. And the Pharisees, they're neither humble nor teachable. They're neither. So Jesus takes a different tack. He's going to take a different tack here. And it's not going to go over real well at all. And he knows it's not going to go over well. He knows everything. But hey, they already want Jesus dead, so where do you go from there, right? They already want him dead. You might as well give everything necessary to convict their hearts. Ray Comfort talks about when witnessing law to the proud and grace to the humble. Law to the proud and grace to the humble. It makes sense. That, and by the way, it comes from James 4, 6. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And it's stated in the Old Testament as well. But when you think about it, if somebody is full of guilt and shame, you give them grace to say, no, no, no. Because they would say, God would never forgive me. I have been involved in this sin and this sin and this sin, and God would never, ever, ever, ever forgive me. And you would say, no, his grace, you can be forgiven like the thief on the cross in the last breath of your life. If I'm into a hospital visit and I have someone say, no, I, I, I didn't live for God even one second there, I can't be saved. And I said, no, the grace can save you right now. Isn't that great? You give grace there. But if someone says, I don't need your God and everything, say, this is what the law says. You're on your way to an eternity in hell. Right? So that's why the scriptures are made that way. But they don't see Jesus for who he is, and they don't see themselves for who they are. They just do not see Jesus as the authority figure over all eternity that he is. Imagine, let me give this illustration. Imagine you're sitting in your doctor's office this coming this week, you go into your doctor's office feeling totally healthy. You're just there for your annual checkup. While you're sitting there waiting for your annual checkup, you're waiting for your doctor to come out and say, come on, back to my office. In walks the FedEx driver, delivers a package, and then the FedEx driver picks up your file and says, come into my office and let's talk about your numbers. You say, what in the world is going on here? You'd be like, what? I'm not going with you. You're the FedEx driver. You're not my doctor that happens, you might want to report that, you know, <laughs> to the doctor and to FedEx and everybody else. But, uh, but if you really do have a condition, and it's not the FedEx driver, it's your doctor says, hey, come on back here, I'm reviewing, and you really did have a condition, something you were concerned about, you would be open to listening because you would believe that you're hearing the right person. And if Jesus is in your presence, you're definitely hearing the right person. Whether you recognize that or not is a different story. Jesus, they're saying, you have the wrong people and you have the wrong audience. And Jesus says, no, no, I am the right one and you are the audience that needs to hear this. You're exactly the right audience. They're like, no, no, no. We, we're Abraham's kids. We don't need to hear what you have to say. But they do need to hear what Jesus is saying. They don't believe Jesus is from God, but he truly is from God. And it's the love of God that's reaching out to them by Jesus asking them the questions that have led to this point. They should be asking Jesus, would you please forgive us? Would you please have mercy? But no, they're not responding to grace, so he's about to give them a heavy dose of of law, <laughs> that the real gavel 
hitting the wood saying, this is where you're at. You're currently in a guilty position, far guiltier than you think you are. You're in a lot more darkness than you think you're in. But so far, they just totally ignore everything Jesus said. Look what it says. Jesus says, um, you, do what you, uh, you do what you've seen with your own father. They say to him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, if, if Abraham was your father, you would do the works of Abraham. Why do you seek to kill me? I've told you the truth. And all they do is seek to kill Jesus. I love how Jesus speaks of his father the same way you and I would speak of our own life and our own interactions with our parents. A very matter of fact, you know, if you were talking about uh, something with your parents, you would just say, hey, I was talking to mom and dad the other day, right? That's the way you would kind of phrase it. And Jesus says, I speak what I have seen with my father. Jesus like, we have always been together for all eternity. But he speaks very matter-of-factly. I speak what I've seen with my father, but then this truth bomb, you do what you've seen with your father. They're thinking, we all have different, you know, they're, you know, they're each of their Jewish fathers. But then they all kind of unite. No, no, Abraham's our father. That's not a compliment when Jesus says, you do what you've seen with your father. Their quick retort, Abraham's our father. Their reverence for Abraham is palpable. In verse 39, Jesus works with their impassioned response. He says, if Abraham's children, if you're Abraham's children, you would do his works. Notice that Jesus delineates between descendants and children. Descendants and children. The children of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, it's a spiritual difference. You don't have to be Jewish to be a child of faith. Abraham, the New Testament, the sons and daughters of Abraham, we are sons and daughters by faith. Even though I'm not Jewish, I have that spiritual relationship, that spiritual DNA uh, versus a biological DNA. In Genesis 15, 6, the difference is those of Abraham have faith. Genesis 15, 6, you guys have seen this passage. And he, being Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. That verse is restated, it's cited three other times in the New Testament. In Romans 4, 3, Galatians 3, 6, and James 2, 23. Abraham believed God. His his becoming the son of God was based on faith, not of works. Abraham couldn't have done enough works. He couldn't have sacrificed enough animals. He couldn't have done enough of any kind of good works to earn his way. Neither can you or I. We are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith because of like faith. By the way, Abraham has no role in saving us. He's a type. His faith is a type, and we have the same like faith. All of us are born through Christ unto God the Father. Abraham had to be born the same way. But we have a like faith. A like faith. And when Abraham believed God, guess what he did next? He obeyed God. There's a concept, right? He not only believed God, he obeyed God. That's what faith really is. If you don't obey God, you don't have faith in God. Faith is, we even come to faith, our salvation was we acted upon what the scripture said we needed to do to be saved. Uh, I didn't make up to pray and ask Jesus to cleanse me from my sins and to be the Lord of my life and to you know, place your Holy Spirit within me and just, Lord, change me and have mercy upon me. I got all that from the Bible. And so it was an obedience to what the scripture said is how we came to saving faith. And then after faith, after that saving faith, it's a life of faith. It continues on. That faith continues to obey. Genuine saving faith, though it's through amazing grace, gives birth to a life that's lived out. Faith and obedience. More faith. 
more obedience. The Bible says the just will live by faith, not just a one time. I, I had a prayer of faith, and now I don't have to live by faith. Now I got saved, got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. I can do whatever I want. That's not how Abraham lived. He was called from Ur of the Chaldeans. He had to follow God every step of the way. Go down here, come back here. Go do this, sacrifice this way. I want you to do this, now take your son Isaac. In the same way in our life, we're following in faith. Our salvation was by faith, but now our steps, the steps of our sanctification, are a continuous life of faith. Abraham's works and faith, we can observe in his life a maturing Amen? If you've ever studied Abraham's life, you see him mature in faith. He grows in faith. His character becomes more like God his father instead of Terah his father and Ur of the Chaldeans. He becomes more like God his father. He never becomes perfect in this lifetime, but he comes, his character becomes conformed to the character of God. These Pharisees, on the other hand, they were becoming more prideful, more arrogant, more hardened, more hateful, more sinister to the point they want to kill Jesus. Right then. Abraham, on the other hand, becomes more godly, more humble, more dependent on God. Are you more dependent on God than you, than you used to be or less dependent on God? I've met people that were really dependent on God in their 20s, and then they started making money. They're not so dependent on God anymore. Are you still dependent on God? Abraham had a lot of stuff, and he was still more dependent on God the older he got, not less dependent on God. He was more giving. Did you used to be more giving than you currently are? Lord, I want to get back to being giving again. Are you more gracious? Abraham became more gracious. The more he walked with God, the more gracious he became. And you can be certain that these self-righteous men, they would not have done the things. That, Jesus said, you would have done the works of Abraham. And we know Jesus is pointing out that you would not have done Abraham's work. Do you think they would have given the best of the land a lot? No way. They always took the best. Jesus said, you even take the best seats in the synagogue. You would never have given Lot the best land. No way. You think they would have offered their only son? Yeah, we'll give God our son. No way. We would not give that. Do you think that they would have prayed earnestly that God would spare the wicked people of Sodom? No. They would have prayed, God, you should have incinerated them a long time ago. They would not intercede for Las Vegas. They would not intercede for Hollywood. They would not intercede for Washington, D.C. They would say, call fire down out of heaven when they themselves were full of their own sins, full of their own pride. And given their rejection of Jesus... Do you think that they would have submitted to Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem? No, they thought Abraham was the top of the heap. Why would Abraham pay tithes to Melchizedek? But he did, because Abraham was a humble man. Moses was a humble man. David was a humble man. Why? Because God had changed their hearts. It was their hearts that had been changed. They weren't born that way. God transformed them. I hope he's doing that in your life. I hope he's making you more humble in time. You know, Moses interceded for the children of Israel when God said, I, if you would, this is my natural state, if God told me, I'm going to wipe them all out and make a country just out of you, I'd say, that's cool. <laughs> Moses said, don't do that. <laughs> Be honest. Many of you would think that was pretty cool if God said, I'm going to wipe all them out. And you say, yeah, they deserve it. Because they have been, you know what they've been in? They'd been complaining about Moses and complaining about Moses and complaining about Moses. They threatened to stone him several times. If that happened to me about 10 times, I'm like, go ahead, God, whatever you want to do. But Moses said, no, spare them. He pleaded. He interceded. Well, that Abraham had the same heart. He interceded for Sodom. He's like, he worked God down in numbers. He got all the way down to get 10. And God's like, all right, I'll indulge this discussion. These men would have never submitted to Melchizedek. They never would have done the works of Abraham. Jesus said, you're not doing the works of Abraham, yet you're claiming Abraham. They like to think they would have done exactly the same things, but they wouldn't. And Jesus repeats this indictment against them. In verse 40, he said, You seek to kill me, even though I've told you everything I've heard from God. I heard it from God, I passed it along to you, and you said, Thanks, but no thanks, we want to kill you. And then he says this, 
you gotta love how Jesus throws this in. He goes, Abraham didn't do this. What does Jesus say? In other words, their character is vastly different than Abraham's character. Vastly different than Abraham's character. They are biologically connected, but not spiritually. More than that, Abraham never tried to kill any servants of God. Ever. Abraham never said, I'm going to kill Melchizedek. That is exactly, you say, well, that's, that's too big. No, it's a, it's a perfect parallel. Jesus is the Son of God, and they want to kill the Son of God. It would be less for Abraham to kill Melchizedek, although some people believe Melchizedek may have been Jesus. That case can be made. But irrespective of whether Melchizedek was a, was a human man or Christ, which we'll talk about Christophanies in just a few minutes, the bottom, bottom line is that they would have killed Melchizedek. And their, anyone that got in their way is the point. Anyone that got in their way, anyone that took away some of their spiritual power, their religious power, that is, and again, they're operating, Jesus said, you're operating just like your father, which they still haven't quite figured out who he's talking about when he says, your father. That's going to happen in just a second here. We read it, but they, they're still, oh, what do you mean, our father? And this time now, they're even more indignant when he kind of, Jesus repeats that. And their retort is not Abraham. They say, God is our father. We weren't born of fornication, which, by the way, some scholars believe that the reason why they said fornication there is there may have been quite a bit still discussion, scuttlebutt, mystery about the birth of Jesus. And although Jesus claimed to be virgin born and his mother Mary would claim the same thing, uh, some scholars believe that the there's still many people that said Jesus was born through an adulterous relationship. And so this is why they could throw out, we were not born of fornication. In other words, you were, we were not. But even if that's not the case, they still think everyone that's not Abraham's lineage is defiled in some way, unclean, tainted. So now they claim Abraham and God. And Jesus tells them in verse 42, if God was your father, you wouldn't just agree with me you would love me. Can you imagine their faces with that statement? Love you? We hate you! Most men don't naturally say to other men, I love you, bro. It takes a lot of changing for men to start to say, I love you, man. And mean it and not feel dorky doing it. But the more you grow in love with Jesus in your prayer life, you really will say, God, I love you, but I want to love you way more. Jesus, I love you, but I want to love you way more. He took hardened, former cursing fishermen and all kinds of other zealots that finally, by the end of their life, literally would say, Jesus, we love you. You know we love you. Peter, right there in the end of John, Lord, you know I love you. That was not Peter's nature. And that wasn't the nature of the Pharisees. They did not say to each other, I love you, I love you. They didn't say that. They didn't think that way. I don't even think they told their wives. Do you think they said, I love you? That, that was, these guys were hard. And they had an image. And they had a persona that was there to be built up. God doesn't want you to have a persona. He wants you to have authenticity. They had a persona. They didn't love Jesus. They hated him. But Jesus said, if you, if you agreed with me, if you saw what, what I'm telling you, you would love me. And Jesus restates again in verses 42 and 43. I don't have time to read it, but he says, he did not just come from God of his own will, but he was sent by God. It's like, God the Father, you guys claim God. God's the one that sent me to you. And the entire roadblock of their inability... In verse uh, 43, he says, you are not able to listen to my word. Do you not understand my speech? He says just before that. Their inability to 
understand the roadblock of what Jesus said is that they flat out cannot and will not, they refuse to listen to his words. They can't understand those words because they won't digest them. They just kind of get in the ear and throw them right back out. They don't want to hear it. Remember when Stephen was being stoned in the book of Acts? The men put their hands over their ears, literally, not figuratively. They literally put their hands over They did not want to hear the word of God anymore. And that's what these guys are doing, metaphorically. And then comes the revealing of their father. Because at this point, Jesus said, your father, your father. They said, our father's Abraham. Then they said, our father's God. Jesus said, no, no, it's not God. It's not Abraham. Are you ready for who your father is? I'm about to tell you. Your father's the devil. That didn't go over well at all. Now, Jesus knew it wasn't going to go over well. He reveals to them who their father is, who he's been referring to, and the full indictment, it cannot be clearer. You're just like your father, the devil, Satan, because your character is just the same as Satan's character. Jesus says that Satan was a murderer. He says that Satan was a liar, that he's the father of lies, that his resources are full of lies. And so they had become, remember Abraham was becoming more like God his father? They were becoming more like Satan. They were becoming, they were becoming better liars in time. You ever notice that career criminals, I mean, we, we, we idolize them in Hollywood. We, you know, we make movies like Ocean's Eleven and everything. Yeah, when you get really good, you're not only a really good thief, but you're a sophisticated one. You look like George Clooney. That's how sophisticated you are when you really get good at sinning. We don't like to hear stuff like that, but that's the reality. The world paints this illusion that it's okay to be a career criminal as long as Hollywood idolizes it and makes it look amazing, fascinating. And so they had become more like Satan. They had an error. Satan, by the way, is a spiritual being. He's an evil spiritual being. They had a spirituality to him, an evil spirituality. They kept people in bondage just like Satan wants people in bondage. The Jesus said, you add burdens to men's shoulders. But they had become lying. They had become better at lying. They had become more crafty to the point they're going to craft a way to get them to the cross and they're going to pull it off. Of course, Jesus is going to acquiesce and lay down his life. Satan was a murderer, Jesus said from the beginning. Satan was no doubt pleased with the very first murder in world history when Cain killed Abel. You can believe that Satan loved it, and he's loved every murder since then, and he loved all the murders that took place in American cities last night. He loved all the murders that took place in Brazil last night. He loved all the murders that took place in the Middle East last night. He loves all the people that are in prostitution, drugs, bondage, you name it, Satan loves it. And now they have a desire not just to kill, but to kill the Son of God. Satan hates the truth. That's why he lies. And the Pharisees, they hate the truth. That's why they lie. And they lie first to themselves, but then they lie to other people. They're telling the people this isn't the Son of God when it is the Son of God. And the more they reject Christ, the more they become like Satan. The more they become that much more deceptive, that much more able to convince people of things. By the way, our society is becoming more and more dishonest to the point when I watch the news, it literally is like lights, camera, fiction. Uh, it's not action. You know, it really is. When you're watching, you, you know, people are so easily misled and lied to and deluded about so many things. That's why our, you don't hear our politicians talk about we need to repent and ask God what to do about anything. No, because you can't deceive people when you bring God into the light and bring everything into the light. So we have a lot of people deceived over so many things. But the Pharisees, they were experts at this. And Jesus was actually upsetting their apple cart. He was actually confronting them in front of people, and this was infuriating to them. 
No one questioned these guys. You knew better than to question the Pharisees, but Jesus is mano y mano right there in the temple saying, this is where you're really at. This is who you really are. Everyone's hearing this, by the way. Everyone around there is hearing him. He just said, Dear the Father, no, can you, did you hear that? He just said that the, the, the Pharisees. He's, he's not going to have a head in a minute. No, Jesus, his time had not yet come. But you see the parallel. When, when Satan was in heaven, he had God in his presence and he rejected God. The Pharisees have Jesus in their presence and they reject Jesus. Just the same way Satan had, Satan had all the evidence he knew. He was created by God and he still wanted to take the throne of God. And these men are in the presence of God and they want to take him out. Jesus says in verse 44, which of you men can convict me of a single sin? Well, not a one of them can convict him of a single, single sin. The irony is they're full of sin and they can't find one sin in Jesus. Verses 45 to 47, he, he says, because I tell you the truth, um, you do not believe me. And he says again in verse um, 46, and I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Twice he says what? You do not believe me. To not believe in Jesus, as he says it two times there, to refuse to believe in Jesus is proof that someone does not know God, nor do they belong to God. Someone can't say, you know, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. And I have had people literally tell me that in my life, and you probably have too. Had people say, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Jesus. You don't know God if you don't know Jesus. He is the one that said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not a side door entrance. There's not an all roads lead to heaven. There's not another way. There's no religious end around. There's no, I'm a descendant of Abraham certificate clause, which they thought they had. We've got to read the next passages if you're... Have your Bible still open? Look at, we're going to wrap up the rest of the chapter. Let's look at verse 48. It's not over. You say, was that the end of the story? No. The climax is coming. Verse 48, then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I would never want Jesus to say that to me. You dishonor me. That would, that would pierce your soul. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Is that not beautiful? Never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? <laughs> He makes himself, he is God. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Here it is, the climatic statement. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, one of those powerful passages in the Bible, before Abraham was, I am. Powerful. Their response, then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going right through the midst of them and passed by. Only the second point this morning, one divine answer. One divine answer. Rather than say, the Pharisees have heard all the way through verse 47, Jesus has, has given them counterpunch, counterpunch, counterpunch of truth, truth, 100% truth, totally undiluted, you need to hear it, you're of your father the devil, why are you seeking to kill me? Truth. Rather than say, hey, that thing you said about us being of our father the devil, us not being of God, 
even though we say God is our Father, we really need to get that resolved. We think we really need to get that resolved. And they should have asked Jesus for his grace and forgiveness, but they did not. No, they've ignored everything he said. In fact, they don't even really address anything he said. They just go straight into the fact that you're a Samaritan. At this point, they are agitated. They are frustrated. For one, they know that even right there in the crowd there in the temple, a number of people, it was just last week's text, but it, we covered last week's text and this week's text as if they're two different sets. They're the same time. It's the same discussion. And a bunch of people have just received Christ as their Lord and Savior. A bunch of people have just believed on him. So they're already infuriated that some of their former disciples are now going to become the disciples of Jesus, believing in him. Additionally, they've not been able to discredit him. They can't find a single sin. They are trying to publicly shame him, but every time they make a point, he makes a stronger point. He continues to correct and admonish them in the presence of Jerusalem in the temple, which they, the guy's in charge. And Jesus is discrediting them, but he's doing it because he wants them to be saved. Everyone that wants to come to God has to be broken before they can be. You, you can't hold on to your position of power. You've got to lay it all down. And they don't want to lay it down. And in their anger and their rejection of Jesus, they instead by responding saying, you're a Samaritan. That's their first point. Which now they're going to name calling. Because the Samaritans were, you know, half Jewish, half Gentile. They were, the, in their minds, the lowest of the low. This was a total insult to call him a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans, Jesus loved the Samaritans. He went there. He saved a whole bunch of Samaritans, because he loved the Samaritans. He didn't think they were lower. They thought they were lower. Jesus didn't think that. That was their racism, their bias. They considered them vile. Then, they go worse than that. You're not a Samaritan. You're possessed by a demon. Jesus just told them, they're of their father the devil. Only one party can be correct here. Either they're of the devil, and they're saying Jesus is of the devil because he has one of the devil's demons inside of him. Guess who's right? Well, we know. Jesus is correct, and these men are grasping at straws, but trying to convince the people there that Jesus is everything he's done. By the way, people know that Jesus has done miracles. They try to attribute, hey, he does it by the works of Beelzebub, and so they've tried to discredit this before. But it, it's impossible, because everything Jesus did was in love. He was always helping people. It wasn't like he was building mansions for those that want to follow him. Charles Spurgeon said, no man, can say, no man can be said to have a devil who honors God, for the evil spirit from the beginning has been the enemy of all that glorifies God the Father. These men are the enemies of things that glorify the God the Father. Jesus always glorified the Father. Everything he did, he was always giving the glory to the Father, even though someday he will take all the glory upon himself. When he sits down at his throne, in his first coming, he was always deflecting the glory to his Father. He wasn't ever trying to set himself up as king of Jerusalem. That will come eventually. He will be king of kings. He already was, but he'll manifest that in the second coming. And Jesus' patience with these men, is it not astounding? Have you, all, of you, all of us in this room have been in discussions, usually not about things that are all that important. Afterwards, we realize, why was I even bent out of shape about, about that? We've been in discussions that are not that important where we've said, all of you said this, I'm done with this conversation. I see every couple in here, a twinkle in their eye. You know, I, you know, I am done with this conversation. I would have said that if I was Jesus about 30 verses ago. But he was getting to this I am statement. He was getting to a crescendo. He was getting to a point that speaks not just to them, but to reverberates throughout the entire world and for the last 2,000 years. So he suspends the conversation for the sake of his love. 
and continues in it. His patience is astounding, especially how much he's already explained. He's already explained enough time. If a teacher explained it to me five times, they're, they're not entitled to say, let me give you five more ways to understand this. At some point, it's the student's responsibility, not the teacher. Many teachers have finally told you that. I'm not going to study this for you. You have to study it. And his patient response is more instructive teaching. And some really great news in verses 49 through 51. He says, I, have not, I don't have a demon. I don't seek my own glory. But I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. That's a tremendous news. That, yeah, who doesn't want to never die? That's instructive. It's good news. They don't take any of it instructive. They don't hear any of it as good news. No, they double down on Jesus being de demonic. In verses 52 and 53, it says the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. And you say if anyone keeps your word, they'll never see death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? The prophets? These men, they always sought their own glory. Jesus does not. But then he explains to them that, hey, Whoever believes in me is not going to see death. That should be seen as good news. They don't see it that way at all. Jesus told them, to date, none of you know God. At this point, none of you currently know God. To date. Even though they say they know God. They've known about God, but they don't know God. Moses knew God. David knew God. Daniel knew God. Jeremiah knew God. Isaiah knew God. They didn't know about God. You run into people all the time that know about God, but do they know God? I know God by his grace, and thank God he knows me as his son. How about you? Or his daughter. And Jesus is saying, look, you, you don't know anything that I'm talking about. Because you don't know the Father. These things don't make sense to you. Not tasting death. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about what? The fact that the soul will never die. But he would teach that if they would listen to They don't even believe in him, so they don't get to understand that truth. They don't get to grasp it, because they won't even believe. But he's drawing all this to a conclusion. He knows what they were going to say before they said it, every step of the way. He knew what their next statement was going to be. Remember he told Peter, I know when the rooster's going to crow. You're going to say three times, you don't know me, and then a rooster's going to crow. Jesus knew exactly. He could have counted it down. Five, four, three. Here goes Peter, number one. Five, four. He could have counted it down. He knew what they were going to say. He was bringing all this to a conclusion. All of it for their admonition and a public witness, not for just then, but even for now. And by the way, Jesus knew things about Abraham they didn't know. Did you know that Jesus knows things about Abraham that you, you and I don't know? The Bible records, like, in your Bible, about this much pages about Abraham. The guy lived a long time. There's many things God knows about Abraham that only Jesus knows. And you'll find out when you get to meet Abraham, say, why did that not make it in the Bible? Jesus say, ask God. Many things. He knew Abraham. Things that nobody knew. They're like, hey, are you greater? Were you before Abraham? Um, and Jesus states that Abraham, and no one had ever said this before, so Jesus is giving us a new revelation of information here. He is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's given us a new revelation. He says that Abraham saw his day, rejoiced in it, and was glad in it, was glad that he saw Jesus. Did Abraham see Jesus? Jesus says he did. That Abraham saw Jesus in some pre-incarnation fashion. And um, Genesis 18 is a classic moment where we see this. Uh, before Sodom is destroyed, it says the Lord came to Abraham. Sarah goes and makes a meal. She laughs about the name. That's why the name becomes Isaac, which means laughter. He says, why did you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. He says, yes, you did laugh. Does this sound like Jesus? <laughs> Sounds like the same conversation, right? No, you did say that. <laughs> so the Lord appears to Abraham, and two men are with him, and the two men are angels. 
And then the angels go on and they call down judgment on Sodom. But the Lord stays back and talks to Abraham. Theological terms, we call this a Christophany. Justin Martyr and church fathers uh, understand there's other places. Uh, Exodus 24, we certainly think Moses saw the Lord standing there on the mountain. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua said, are you for us to get the commander? I am the commander of the Lord's army. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, they all saw Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. Not the risen body, but still a human form. And we don't know how God... He's God, right? And we don't know what this exactly, but nevertheless, Abraham saw it and rejoiced. And uh, some scholars even believe... Um, well, I'll get to that in a second. But here's the thing. We know that Abraham could not have seen God the Father. You can't see the Holy Spirit, and you can't look upon God the Father. In this lifetime, you cannot look upon the Father and live because he's too holy. Even Moses, God had to hide him in a rock and said, Moses, you can only see a little bit of the train, the backside of my glory, much less look directly. He could like just look a little backside and God said, that's all you could see because I'm putting you in the rock, otherwise you would die. And I don't know about you, but Moses exceeds my faith. How about yours? <laughs> the Bible makes it really clear that in this lifetime, when you get to heaven, you'll be able to look at God and live because there'll be no more sin. We'll be completely purified. But in this lifetime, because we still have sin, if we looked at a holy God, we would melt like a nuclear bomb hit us. Because God's holiness. All these verses express very clearly. Uh, John, by the way, the apostle John, seems to be entrusted of all the, uh, the apostles to really emphasize that no one in this lifetime can look at the living God, which makes sense because it's John who says in John, verse, I think it's verse 8, ch chapter 1, that he was the word made flesh. So John is given this responsibility saying, no man can look at him and live. No one has seen God at any time. John 1, 118. No one has seen God at any time. 1 John 4, 12. John 6, 46. He emphasized Jesus. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. So it's very clear that in this lifetime, so Jesus would have to both before the cross, uh, in his earthly ministry, and post-resurrection, be in a form we can view him as the Son, that's the way we see the Father. Then in heaven, we finally can see the Father and actually live. Very clear. In Abraham's case, so in, in most, there's general agreement with scholars and theologians that every time the Lord is walking and talking face-to-face -face with another Old Testament saint, that it's Jesus a Christophany, a pre-incarnate representation, Jesus coming to the earth before he came through the virgin birth. In any case, Abraham may have also seen the Lord. Some scholars believe that when Abraham said, on the way up Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. Some scholars believe that that, that very moment, God may have given Abraham a vision all the way to Jesus on the cross and seen the Lord... Uh, some of the Jewish rabbis believe that in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, where it says Abraham was stricken in days, it really means the Hebrew rendering is that he went into days that Abraham, some of the uh, rabbis believe that Abraham went into, God showed him future days, which is very, that's not unusual. God did that with Daniel. God did that with Isaiah. God did that with Moses. So, and God had already done it with Abraham when he told him your people will be 400 years in Egypt. So he had seen prophecies before. So that rendering may, in fact, he may have seen the ancient of days in days. So again, these are, but at any rate, or it's none of the above. And Jesus says, it's a moment that I know of that none of y'all know about. How about that? That's also a possibility. So there's, a, it's, that certainly is there. But there... Pharisees, if nothing else, they're consistent in their rejection. And Jesus is bringing all this to this final crescendo of his witness. He wasn't from the time of Abraham. They're like, are you from Abraham's time? Or how are you? Are you older than our father Abraham? No, Jesus wasn't from the time of Abraham. He's from eternity. 
long before Abraham, outside of time. In Exodus 3:14, and God said to Moses, speaking from the burning bush, I am who I am, he said. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The I am meant self-sustaining. Later he would say, I am the Lord. And that Lord would become the word Yahweh. Before it was Elohim. I am the Lord. But first he doesn't even say Lord. He just says, I am. I am that I am. I am self-sustaining. None of us are self-sustaining. God sustains us. We didn't make ourselves. We don't sustain ourselves. God is I am that I am. He's no beginning, no end, eternal self-sustaining when he said that the pharisees oh they knew exactly what he meant this would have res- they would have heard burning bush they would have heard him speaking to moses and it infuriated them because they knew that this name could only be reserved for god hero israel the lord our god is one they knew that this is the living god this is god the father he's speaking as he is the father and jesus one of his names is wonderful counselor everlasting god Everlasting Father, I'm sorry. He is the Father, so he can say it. And rather than bow before Jesus, their immediate response is, grab stones and stone him. Can you imagine if that was Moses' response at the burning bush? Instead of obey God, I'm going to throw water on the fire. No, Moses took off his shoes and realized he was on holy ground. These men pick up stones and have no idea the weight of the sin that they're in. They are in deep darkness and have no idea. They pick up a stone to grab him. And no one's, it's not going to work. Nobody takes Jesus' life. He'll lay it down at the appointed time. It wasn't his time to die. It says here, and this is our last, we're going to wrap it up here. Then they took the stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going right through the midst of them. I'm of the mindset that the scripture means exactly what it says. Uh, there's many scholars believe that Jesus, man, there was new believers that he kind of drifted into the believers and they meandered their way through and he got out. I, I find that, personally, I find that hard to believe. He's surrounded by the most powerful leaders in Jerusalem. They're all picking up the stones and I don't think he just slips out of them. But he is God, and he can slide right through if he wants to, and he's done this uh, already in his ministry. But the thought occurred to me that as I was studying this, the I am statement, the I am statement refers, it speaks to um, an invisible God. In Deuteronomy 4.12, Moses says to the children of Israel, he said, from Mount Sinai, you heard the voice of God. You heard the sounds of the words, but you saw no form. The living God cannot be seen. The thing that Jesus said here is unique because he doesn't say, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. He says, I am, which is the invisible God, the same as in the Old Testament. He says it pre-Abraham and when the earth was out form or void. There's the invisible nature of God here. And it just strikes me, if Jesus says, I am, and the next thing you know, he goes invisible, would be quite the exclamation point. (laughs) Because they pick up stones to stone him, and all of a sudden, where'd he go? It says he goes right through the midst of them. It does not say he deviates, he gets in with a crowd of people, and they somehow get him out of there. So other scholars agree with me, thankfully. Uh, I'm not alone on this one, that uh, do think that Jesus uh, just... And his glory was able to just become not seen and walk right out. Whether that's what he did or not, I'm not here to be dogmatic about it. I'm just simply saying that's quite the correlation to the I am statement is clearly the invisible nature of God, whereas Jesus was in human flesh. But he made this point, no, I'm equal to the I am that spoke to Moses, the I am that was before Abraham. Here's what's not invisible as we bring this to a close. What's not invisible right now is the Bible you're holding. What's not invisible right now is the gospel. What's not invisible right now are the countless transformed lives. Just in this room alone, we are not invisible. We are visible representations of the life-transforming power of the very Jesus that, that some believed in and some rejected. 
I'm changed because I believe in him. I am a visible representation of somebody that would not have been standing in this pulpit before I got saved. I would have no desire to be at church, much less preaching the message, but by Jesus. Is your belief in the I am? I pray that it is. If it's in the I am, it's in God the Father through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word. Every week we thank you for your word because, Lord, it really is life and truth. We need it more than we know. These Pharisees needed it more than they know. I needed it before I came to Christ, and I still need it 27 years later of being in Christ. And Lord, those that are here need it. Those that are online need it. We need the words of the great I am, but not just the words. We need to believe the words of the I am and our faith and our life to be in you. You said our souls would never taste death. What a great gift you give to those that will believe on you.